That is good news. Well, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back. It's good to see such a good crowd here this morning. Now that holidays are over, we're ready to plunge into a new year, right? I thought, why don't we talk about one of the core values of our church that should guide us along with the other core values into this new year. And that one that I'm going to talk about this morning is grace. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it in our worship service. So let's focus on God's word together. Turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20. It's found on page 1048 of your Bible in front of you there in the chairs. Matthew chapter 20. I'll read the first 16 verses. And children, if you're tracking the word of the day, the word of the day is grace. You will hear it a lot in this message. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. (coughs) Holy Spirit, we need you to come and speak to our hearts. It's one thing to listen with our ears, but quite another to have your word pierce into the bones and the marrow of our lives like you tell us it does. And so we open our lives to you now. We open our hearts, our ears, our minds. We are listening and we are looking forward, Lord, to what you have to say through your word to us. Equip us, Father, we pray, that we might be disciples of yours in a very needy world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a an organization in L.A. that operates an apology sound-off line. It's a phone line. You call and you apologize for something. So people call if they feel a need to say, I'm sorry, 
for something that they did. You know what? 200 people a day call that number. They confess to having an affair or stealing from their employer, even to things like rape and child abuse. A few people have even confessed to murder on the apology sound-off line. Uh, One alcoholic left this message. I'd like to apologize to all the people I hurt in my 18 years as an addict. One young woman sobbing over the phone because she had caused a car accident in which five people were killed said this, I just want to say I'm sorry. I wish I could bring them back. Everywhere you go, people are looking for grace. And many of them just don't know where to find it. What is grace? Grace is being loved in spite of your failures and sins. Grace is favor freely given to the undeserving. And grace is at the very heart of God, as I think you'll see this morning in this story that Jesus told in Matthew 20. I want to bring out three things from this story. First, our resistance to grace. And then God's affection for grace. And finally, our response to God's grace. So let's begin with our resistance to grace. I think you see that very clearly taught in this story from Jesus. Um, it's called Laborers in the Vineyard here in my Bible, but I prefer to call this the story of the generous landowner. The story of the generous landowner, because it's really about him. Uh, you followed the story, right? It's not too hard to figure out the plot. This landowner in the story needs some work done in his vineyard. And so he goes to the town square five t- different times during the day, and hires different groups of men to work in his vineyard. Some of them start at daybreak, right at 6 a.m., right when the whistle sounds. Other people in the group start at 9 o'clock in the morning, others at 12 noon, a few others at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and finally a group begins working at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time. And when 6 p.m. rolls around, the landowner pays all of his workers the same thing. One denarius, which was the typical wage for a day's work back in that day. Now really, doesn't your heart go out to the guys who started working at daybreak? I mean, that's what Jesus wants us to feel. uh, Because pretend for a moment that you're one of those guys. You have sweated out in the hot Judean sun for a full 12 hours. You are out there in the vineyard pulling weeds and pruning vines and harvesting grapes or whatever the job required all day long. And then you saw these guys coming on board throughout the day, 9 o'clock, 12 noon, 3 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and you've got it figured out. You're not dumb. The landowner is going to pay everybody according to the time that they put in. That's only right. A full denarius... For those of you who started at 6 o'clock, three-quarters of a denarius for the next group, half of a denarius for the next, a quarter of a denarius for the 3 o'clock group, and then for that last group of men who were hired at 5 p.m., one-twelfth of a denarius. I mean, that's what any reasonable person would expect, a full day's work, A full day's wage for a full day's work. So at the end of the day, six o'clock, the whistle blows, and all of the men line up. 
And the landowner, landowner starts with that five o'clock group and hands them each a denarius. Whoa, you whisper to the guy next to you in line. We just got a raise. Do the math. If those guys got a denarius for working one hour, we're going to get 12 denarii because we work 12 hours. But (laughs) then the landowner goes down the line to the guys who started at 3 o'clock and gives them one denarius, same as the 5 o'clock group. And then he goes to the guys that started working at noon, one denarius, and then to the guys that started at 9 a.m., one denarius. And then he comes to you and your group. You've been there since 6 a.m. And he gives you one lousy, stinking, measly, pitiful denarius. At the early service, there was a little kid in the back who went, yay! <laughs> at the top of her lungs. I was hoping somebody would do that again. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Exactly. But verse 11 says that when the original group of workers received their pay, what did they do? They grumbled at the master. Well, duh, wouldn't you? Uh, verse 12 says that they say to the master, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. In other words, that's not fair. Let's change up the story a little bit to bring it up to the modern context. Uh, pretend you're in college. Uh, some of you don't have to pretend. But so, uh, some of you, uh, let's pretend you're in college. You're a college student taking organic chemistry. And it's the end of the semester. Everybody's favorite subject. You've studied hard all semester long. You've kept up with your assignments. You've handed in your papers. And you know that you aced that final. But in the same organic chemistry class that you're in, there's this group of frat guys. Now, I know we don't know who these people are, but they came to college just to party. They hardly cracked the book open all semester. They didn't even show up for class most of the time. And you could tell they didn't have a clue on this final exam. So anyway, you take in this final exam. The professor has posted the grades up outside his office in the hallway there. And so you go check out your grade. And lo and behold, you got an A. Fantastic. But then you look a little bit closer at the list of grades. And you find out that everybody got an A. Even that slacker group of frat guys that didn't even study. Wouldn't you grumble about your professor? Don't you know you would go to the website rateyourprofessor.com and give that, that guy a stinking zero? Because that's not how things are supposed to work. There's no such thing as a free lunch. That's what we're taught all our lives. Guys that work just an hour shouldn't be paid for something they didn't do. And slackers shouldn't get A's. But see, that's Jesus' point. It's the point of the whole story. In Jesus' economy, you do get a free lunch. You get what you don't pay for. That's what grace is. Grace is free and undeserved. The love of God is not something you work to get. It's something that you simply receive, free of charge. Like I said last week, if you were here, the Greek word for grace is charis, or the word from which we get the word charity. 
Salvation is charity. It's given away. It's given, not earned. But, but something in us, see the reason for this story is that something in us wants to say no. That's just not right. I don't know if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, but uh, it's a classic scene in that movie. We're like Private Ryan. If you've seen the movie, you know that that final scene is where James Ryan is now an old man and he's kneeling down at the grave marker of the man who saved his life. And he says to his wife, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me that I'm a good man. See, the concept of someone dying for him free of charge without him doing something to get it, to earn it, was utterly foreign, just as it's utterly foreign to our flesh. Grace is alien to us. We don't typically operate this way. Grace shocks us. I mean, you should be shocked at a story like this. And I think if you get yourself into the context of that day, it will shock you. It offends us, grace does. It was certainly offensive to the Jewish religious establishment. In many ways, I see this story being similar to the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. The same point is being made here. Because the scribes and Pharisees who were listening to this story knew the implicit message of this story that the kingdom of God isn't just for the law-abiding Jew, the 6 a.m. crowd, you might say. It's for the Gentile as well, those who came late to the party. See, salvation, Jesus is teaching here, is a free gift to the sinful, the broken, the failures, and the undeserving. And the Jewish religious leaders could not stand that. That is why they pinned him to the cross. But listen, we're not much different from them. Embedded deep in my heart, and I believe if you're honest, you'd have to say the same thing, is the belief that we're special in some way. We work hard. We have the right theology, the right politics. We're on the right side of the aisle. We raise our kids God's way. We go to church. We give 10%. Surely we're closer to God than other people. Come on, am I the only one who says that to himself from time to time way down in my heart? Don't you often think to yourself, Lord, I've done this for you. I've done that for you. I worked really hard for you today, God. This is going to be a 12 denary day. Why, I shared my faith with my neighbor. I prayed for 30 minutes this morning. God, I put off, uh, money in the offering basket a few minutes ago. Lord, I don't have to feel guilty now about those mean things that I said to my wife yesterday. See, we operate that way. If I do this, God will give me that. And when we see others who don't work hard, who don't have the right theology, who don't raise their kids like they should, being loved and blessed and used by God, just like the workers in verse 11, we grumble against our master who has every right to give or to withhold his blessings as he sees fit. So that's our resistance to this whole theme of God's grace. But I want you to see God's affection for grace. Because 
Throughout this passage, it's implied that, and it's very clear that God loves to give grace to five o'clock people. In fact, I'll say it, I'm a 559 person. (laughs) I just barely made it. And so did all of us. God loves to give grace to five o'clock people. It's part of his nature. John 1.16 says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Think of the people that Jesus hung out with most of the time, according to the Gospels. Fishermen who often stumbled in their faith and didn't get it right. Tax collectors who were despised by people. Women who had no voice and were largely disrespected by society. The poor, the sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf. Widows who were without means. Lepers who were unclean. Children who were looked down upon by adults. Prostitutes whom the townspeople wanted to stone to death. Grace upon grace upon grace. Tim Keller said some things that I thought were very fitting in this connection. He said, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches do not have this effect. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Namely, the message of grace. See, God is the generous master who pays people for work they don't do. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you're one of those guys hired at five in the afternoon. It wasn't because of anything you had to offer God that he brought you into his family. No, God saw us in our sin and misery and he had compassion on us. He loved us in spite of us. God didn't vet you and decide that you were good enough to be in his kingdom. He didn't look at your resume and think you're better than other candidates. He didn't check your theology or your race or your bank account or your IQ or anything that the world thinks is important. Because God operates by what I'm calling the new math of grace. Like it says in verse 16, the last are brought up to the front of the line. And the ones who think they deserve to be first in line end up being last. Now, obviously, another whole sermon could be preached on this, but one of the questions that obviously comes up about this is, does it matter what you do? Do good works matter at all? The answer to that is yes. Yes, it matters, but your good works are a response to God's love. They are not the cause of God's love. God loves you not because of what you do for him, but because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. We say that all the time here at UPC, but it's something that is so easily forgotten. It's like a slippery bar of soap that easily gets away from us if we're not careful. We sing about amazing grace, one of our favorite hymns. Well, perhaps better than any other single passage of Scripture, Matthew 20 shows how amazing God's grace really is. I mean, any person with half a brain would want to pull the master of this house aside and say something like, 
brother, you're being unreasonable. Don't you know that you're throwing money away? Why in the world would you pay a guy a denarius for one crummy hour of work? It makes no sense. You keep doing that and nobody's going to want to wake up at dawn and come work for you. They'll just show up at five o'clock and know that you're going to give them a full day's wage. And in a similar way, someone might want to take Jesus aside and say, Jesus, you shouldn't tell your followers stories like this. This shouldn't be in a Bible. Don't you realize, Jesus, that if you tell people about grace, they're just going to take advantage of you? If you tell them you give your love to people who do absolutely nothing to deserve it, they'll just stop trying to be good Christians. Well, Jesus wasn't worried about that. Just as I'm not worried and we're not worried about talking about the grace of God, because the more you understand God's free, undeserved favor, the more you'll actually want to serve Him. You'll want to pray. You'll want to work hard for God. You'll want to love others and give and go to church and share your faith and obey the commandments. And you'll do it with a spirit of joy rather than slavish fear. You've probably heard this story about Abraham Lincoln, but it's a good one. Abraham Lincoln one day went to a slave auction and he was appalled by what he saw. But he wanted to do something about it. There was a young woman who was brought to the auction block and the bidding began. $5, $10, $15. And Lincoln joined in with the bidding. He bid higher and higher until Lincoln purchased her. He was willing to pay whatever it took. After he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman and said, You're free. Go. You're free. Free, she said. What's that supposed to mean? It means you're free, completely free. Does it mean I can do whatever I want to do? She said, Yes, woman, you can do whatever you want to do. Does it mean I can say whatever I want to say? Yes, it means you can say whatever you want to say. Does it mean I can go wherever I want to go? And Lincoln said, yes, you're free to go wherever you want to go. And with tears welling up in her eyes, the woman said, then, sir, I think I'll go with you. See, grace transforms people from the inside out. People who are slaves to sin into happy servants of Jesus Christ. So what do you do with the grace of God? What's our response to grace going to be? Well, first of all, like the slave in that story, you receive it and follow Jesus. You go where he's wanting you to go. This morning, there's a big crowd here. There may be someone in this group today who has never actually said yes to Jesus' offer of grace. I think that's highly likely that perhaps though you've been to church, though you've heard this story often, you've never really crossed that line and said, I want to go wherever you go, Jesus. I want to follow you. Perhaps you're still thinking like the young man in the previous chapter. If we had time to go back to chapter 19, he's often called the rich young ruler who said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Perhaps you're still thinking that there's something you are supposed to do, that you're supposed to be good enough or accomplish something 
in order to earn the love of God. I once, uh, not long ago, talked to a man who, when he found out I was a pastor, did what many people start doing. They get nervous when they're in the presence of such great holiness. (laughs) Ha ha is right. But uh, this man said to me, I'm going to I'm going to become a better man. He said, I'm going to get back to church. I know I haven't been living like I should. And so I interrupted him and I said, sir, you know what God wants you to do first? Stop trusting in yourself and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. and Follow him. I don't know if he made that choice, but if you're not a Christian this morning, I plead with you, do not harden your heart toward God. This is a golden opportunity that you're here to hear that God is a God of free grace who invites the most undeserving into his family. You can never be too far away from him. So respond to the gospel invitation. Turn from your sins. Ask God to forgive you and make you his child. If you mean business with God, he will not turn you away. But listen, most of us are believers. Even we who have already placed our trust in Christ need to receive God's grace today. That's why we're having communion in a few minutes. You never stop needing to believe the gospel. It's not just what gets you in the door. It gets you all the way home. The grace that saves also sanctifies. The grace that saves us from sin transforms us into new people. The more we believe it. So receive God's grace, rest in it, and don't drift away from it. That's one response to God's grace that I call us to make. But here's a second one, perhaps a little more applicable, practical today. Um, We're at the verge of a new year. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but I'll repeat some thoughts that I think are real important for us in a time of transition, which we are going through a lot of change staff-wise and so on and so forth. The grace of God should change the way we treat one another. And beyond our walls, the way we treat other people. Notice how Jesus begins this story. In verse 1 of chapter 20, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to tell you what my rule and my reign, R-E-I-G-N, mean for citizens of my kingdom. He's saying, I'm a God who gives grace to people. So if you're a citizen of my kingdom, then you will give grace to others, especially those in the family of God. This is so important and practical for us at UPC. Because think about us. We're a very diverse bunch. Some of us would be called uh, 6 a.m. people. Uh, Perhaps we've walked with God a long time and know the Bible well and are very involved in the ministry of the church. But there are a lot of folks in our church who might be Well, wear the label five o'clock people. Perhaps they're new to the faith, inexperienced in the things of God, just beginning to learn their way around the Bible. Guess what? God loves us all the same. He gives his grace indiscriminately to all who trust in him. There's no partiality with God. Whether you came early or late to the party, you are a new creation. You're loved by the God of the universe, and his is the only opinion that really matters. So don't judge. 
See, when you complain about or judge or ostracize or look down your nose at another believer, you're just like those self-righteous Pharisees who were so offended by this story. You're grumbling against God who pours his love out sovereignly on all who love him. Friends, we're to be different from the world. The world is a place of winners and losers, red state and blue state, the powerful and the weak. To get a leg up in this world, it seems like you have to rip into other people with angry tweets and critical Facebook posts and mean words. We are not those people. The kingdom of God is like this. By this, says Jesus elsewhere, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. So, what if we really excelled at this? What if, let's imagine we're really excelling at being a community of grace. What might that look like here at UPC? I'll mention a few practical things. I think all of our community groups would be open to new people, even people we don't know, people that are in a different stage of life. We'd be constantly inviting people into community with us. We would open our homes to each other a lot and practice hospitality. We'd be careful with our tongues and only spread good gossip. You ever hear that phrase, good gossip? Let's only spread good gossip about other people. We would give other people the benefit of the doubt whenever we don't understand them or when they choose to go in a different direction from us. I'm not saying there's no room for confrontation and rebuke. That's a whole other subject. I've spoken to that before. But I think the message, the burden of this text is let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. We would forgive each other if we're excelling at being a community of grace and we would bear with each other. Maybe you can think of somebody you would consider a 5 p.m. person. Maybe somebody in your own family is a 5 p.m. person and God is giving that person grace. Perhaps God is calling you through this sermon to do something really unreasonable like forgive them. And right now, as I said, since our church is in a time of transition, we would believe the best of one another. Trust each other. Be flexible. Be patient. And let's trust God in prayer to lead us forward through these changes. Here's the bottom line. Here's your takeaway. God loves to give grace in ways that surprise us and challenge us. Don't be annoyed when God does that. Don't begrudge his generosity. Receive his grace. Celebrate his grace and spread it around. Because everywhere you go, people are looking for grace. And so are you. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we are looking for grace. And thank you that you're the God who gives it so generously. We praise you, Father, that you have called us by grace, holding on to us by grace. Thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, Father, today we want to repent. We want to ask you to help us to become lovers of people. Father, um, thank you that though none of us deserves your gift of eternal life, you gave it to us freely through faith in your son Jesus. 
So Holy Spirit, forgive our sometimes critical, stingy spirits. Take us deeper into the gospel of grace in 2019. Fill us with such gratitude for our salvation that we welcome and honor and serve one another in spite of our differences. Help us, Lord, to show the world the reality of the gospel by our love for one another. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. What a great object lesson we have of God's grace this morning, the Lord's Supper, the bread representing the body of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is actually really here with us today, the fact that his body is our spiritual food that he gave to us. Every moment we need it, now as always, and so we're going to feed upon him through faith in his son Jesus, who is every bit as much here with you as the person next to you in the chair. And then we come to the cup in a little while, the blood of Christ. We remember the blood shed on the cross. What is the, what are these things? These are actually elements that are a covenant renewal celebration. God is renewing his covenant of grace with us even now through this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so I would invite all of you to this table who knows Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and who has trusted him and followed him. If you're not a Christian, we would ask you to do what I said earlier. Consider his claims, his offer, and pray that God will show himself to you. If you're a professing Christian, but for some reason there's this hard-heartedness in your life, and you're in a state of rebellion against God, you know it, and you're not willing to bend and break and be broken by him to come back to him again, then it would be better for you to pass the elements on to the next person. You're not in a frame of mind that uh, would celebrate God's love for you. But I have an impression that most of you today are hungry and tired and thirsty for God's love. Some of you are sad. Some of you are weary from the Christian fight. Uh, Some of you feel unworthy. Some of you feel far away from God. Uh, Some of you wonder why he hasn't answered your prayers. Some of you doubt some of the Bible's promises. See, the the Lord's Supper is for you to stir up new faith and new hope. So don't don't walk, run. Stay seated in your chair, yes. But (laughs) by faith, run to this table and receive God's covenant promises for you. Um, Let's affirm our faith together as Christians. We want to join with Christians through the ages and affirm what we believe. So let's use the Apostles' Creed. Together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born by the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'll invite our elders and their helpers to come forward while we pray together. Would you bow with me and pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for... Uh, reminding us of what has passed, which is your death and your resurrection. Thank you for 
reminding us of what's present, that you are actually here today with us. This is your table, not the table of UPC, but your table, Lord Jesus. And thank you for reminding us of what's to come in the future, that one day we will be seated around a grand table on the new earth and and receive the wedding dinner of the Lamb. We will see you face to face, and we will have every tear wiped away and every promise fulfilled, every prayer answered. Lord Jesus, thank you for these blessings. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask now that you'll bless this meal we're about to partake of, that you'll separate these common elements of bread and juice and wine to the special use of being a means of grace to stir up new hope, new faith, new obedience as we launch out into 2019. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.